Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. <clears throat> We're in a Bible study series on prayer. It's quite an extensive series. I told our folks that it would be start off on the, the most basic Sunday school lesson for children on prayer, and then it would eventually go through like a college level course on prayer. And we're, we're in pretty deeply to this idea, prerequisites of prayer, the qualifications of prayer. The Bible gives us specific things where God says, if you want your prayers answered, do this. Or if you do this, I will answer your prayers. And we've learned a lot of things over the, the last several months. A lot of people use prayer as just a way to pray for whatever they want. We know that's, although prayer can be used to provide for your needs, uh, God's not a genie in a bottle that you rub on, his, uh, on the bottle and he gives you three wishes. He's not some Buddha that you rub his belly and he'll bless you with some kind of goodness. No, he's God Almighty. And he teaches us how to approach him and we go to him in prayer uh, to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, and we speak to Him just as we would speak to any other friend. But prayer is not just so that we can get whatever we want. You know, I was driving down the, the highway yesterday, taking one of my nephews somewhere, and we were driving back, and I'm driving along, and this white Corvette went by. It's like a 2020 white Corvette low to the ground, wide stance, uh, spoiler, I mean, just just beautiful. And the verse came to my mind, thou shalt not covet. Because, uh, and then as it drives away, it's got four tailpipes looking at you. And I told my nephew, four tailpipes, that's just showing off. You know, you don't need four tailpipes to drive down this highway here. Beautiful car. Uh, and I would like one, I'll be honest with you. I would like to have one. Think about how quickly I could get my visits done. Think about how much more soul winning I could get done uh, going, going through those. I would run away from the police, and so I wouldn't get tickets. No, I'm kidding. And so it's true. Only one, I'm sure. Uh, and so, But I would like to have one. But that doesn't mean if I ask for that in Jesus' name that all of a sudden I'm just going to get a white Corvette because I said those magical words. You know, we talked about asking in Jesus' name last week. Uh, so we, we've gone through a lot of these, uh, but tonight we get to another prerequisite for prayer and uh, an interesting one that I think is often overlooked in John chapter 15. Of course, there's a lot of wonderful truths we could look at in this scripture, but look at John chapter 15 and verse 16. John chapter 15 and verse 16, the word of God says, "'Ye have not chosen me.'" But I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this verse. Pray that you would unlock its truths for us and teach us. Uh, give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Uh, we're the students. I pray that you'd accomplish the will of, of God within us tonight. Help us to understand this important aspect of getting our prayers answered. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight, the prerequisite for prayer is soul winning. 
soul winning. Did you know that soul winners get more of their prayers answered than non-soul winners? You say, oh, preacher, how can that be? You say, God's not a respecter of persons. It has nothing to do with about being a respecter of persons. It has to do with everything that we've been talking about. If you're in the business of fulfilling the mission of Christ, then God will make sure you get the resources you need to accomplish His work. Right? And so... Being on the front lines of the battle, God says, I'm going to get you your resources first so you can continue the work. And so I'm going to prove to you here from the scriptures that being a soul winner, being someone that says, wakes up every morning and says, I want to help someone meet Jesus. I want to, I want to introduce someone to Jesus. If I can... I want to bring people into the fold. And I mean, think about this morning. Don't answer me out loud. Did you pray today that God would help you win someone to Jesus? And the average Christian would say, well, no. The truth is, most Christians went through their day-to-day without even expecting to witness to anyone. Uh, and that's a tragedy. It's a shame. Every day we ought to pray for souls. Every day we ought to pray for opportunities to witness. We ought to pray for boldness to witness. We ought to pray for God to give us uh, divine appointments to help people cross our paths, to give us opportunities to pass out tracts and all of these things. For the average Christian, soul winning is not one of the top ten things on their list. But we know it was number one on Jesus' list, right? And what you'll find is if you get Jesus' priorities, you'll also get his power, his wisdom, and resources to accomplish that. And I want to show you some scriptures here uh, that that are really interesting. So this verse teaches us several valuable lessons. And I I want you to consider them briefly. And then I'll get to the prayer promise attached to the bottom of this verse and explain it to you. All right, so let's look at the first phrase here. Ye have not chosen me. We're in uh, John chapter 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. What a powerful thing. Uh, Here's a thought. It was customary among the Jews for the disciple to choose the master. A Jew could look throughout his community and he could decide who he wanted to mentor him. Matter of fact, and the same thing was true in Asian cultures, uh, that if, if you had more students come to you, and ask you if they could follow you, if you would mentor them, that would give you a greater stature. And it was that way in the Hebrew culture where people could choose a master and ask that master if they would allow them to be a student. But here's an interesting twist that Jesus chose the students. Jesus didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them and said, follow me. We won't take time tonight to go through all the different callings that the Scripture talks about, but you can think about Matthew being called. He was sitting at the receipt of customs, and Jesus went to him and said, follow me. Uh, Peter and, and uh, his brother, fishing, follow me. James and John, fishing, follow me. Uh, Jesus chose them. Now, we could say the same is true for salvation. Uh, you know, there's nothing in us 
that would make God want to choose us. There's no, there, there's no intrinsic value in me. There's no goodness in me. There's no character in me where God looked down from heaven and said, wow, now the rest of you are all rascals. But that Paul Chapman, he's, he's a nice guy. No, he looked at me and said, you're a rascal. <laughs> you know, you're probably a bigger rascal than everybody else. Uh, sometimes I feel like the Apostle Paul, you know, I'm the chiefest of sinners. But Jesus chose us. He wanted to be with us. We could think about in Mark chapter 3, and again, we won't take time to go for, for time's sake. When he chose the 12 apostles, he went and prayed all night and then chose the 12 apostles. And he called them to be with him. He called them to him, giving them the privilege to serve him. And what an amazing truth that God wants you to serve him. The truth is we fight with people, oh, you serve God, you need to serve God, you need to serve God. No, it is a privilege for us to serve God. There's not a one of us that's worthy to serve Him. There's not a one of us that's worthy to to latch His shoes or to wash His feet or even to speak His name. And yet He chose us because we have a seeking Savior. Hold your place here and look at Luke chapter 19. The great verse showing us the heartbeat of Christ, His purpose for coming. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Here He was seeking a short-of-stature man named Zacchaeus. Well-to-do, rich, but he was rich because he had high position. He was misusing it to rob people. But see, Jesus even sought out Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was... Wealthy, a thief, a hypocrite, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house today. (laughs) See, that's our Savior. He comes to you and I knowing exactly who we are, and he says, I want to be with you anyway. I choose you anyway. What a wonderful truth. But then he tells Zacchaeus in in verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, here we see the heartbeat of Christ. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. There's no goodness in us to cause Christ to choose us. We have nothing to offer Him but sin and rebellion and hard hearts and stiff necks, yet He wants us anyway. You say, no, I love Jesus today. Yes, but you love Him because He first loved you. Right? 1 John 4.19 says we love Him because He first loved us. You say, no, I was seeking Jesus. If you were seeking him, it was because he was drawing you to himself. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There's nobody that just is good enough to seek God or to seek Jesus without the drawing of the Spirit, even God's grace drawing us to himself. Oh, thank God he chose us. Jesus chose to save us, and He chose us to serve Him. I think it's one of the great sins of the modern church that we don't see it as a privilege to serve Jesus. We beg, we plead. I mean, we've got to beg people to come to church nowadays. And if there's a church down the road that'll expect you to come to a, a one or two less services, let's just go there. And, and just let you go there and live however you want. Why well, would rather go to that church? Because they don't have any expectations. 
my friend, it is a privilege to serve God. It is a privilege to do anything He would ask us to do. There ought not be anywhere you wouldn't go, anything you wouldn't say, anything you wouldn't do for the Savior because of everything He's done for us. And if there's any resistance in our heart to that truth, it just shows us our own hard-heartedness. And I've been there, haven't you? Haven't we all stiffened our neck, hardened our hearts? Some Christians even think they're doing God a favor just by coming to church. No, it's a privilege to serve God. See, in every monarchy, the glory of the servant is related to their proximity to the king. Did you catch that? The glory of the servant is measured by their proximity or their closeness to the king. The closer you get to serve the king himself, that's the higher rank you have as a servant. You remember Nehemiah, he was the cupbearer of the king, right next to the king, had incredible stature. And we have been called not only to serve God, but we have been called to labor with him. We've been chosen to serve by his side. We work in his field, by his authority, with his resources, accomplishing his will for his glory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're laying a foundation to this prayer promise. He chose us, he chose to save us. He chooses us to serve. By the way, don't get mixed up with a Calvinism here. When I say he chose to save us, I'm not talking that some people are chosen and he rejects others. Here's a Bible truth that, that, that most people gloss over. Who's chosen? God chooses everybody. But do you choose him? Here's the truth. God chooses those who choose him. That's election. It's not God saying heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell. God chooses those that choose him. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, for God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? He wants everybody to be saved, but he says, I'm going to choose those who choose me. And through his foreknowledge, he knows ahead of time those who are going to choose him and those who are going to reject him. And so we've been chosen for salvation because we chose him. We've been chosen to serve. And by the way, every Christian's chosen to serve. We all have a job to do. Each one of us have been created unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. All right, but here we, we're not only serving him, we're serving with him. What a high honor. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for ye are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. What does that mean? You're partnering with God. Think about that. 
God's not just saying, serve me, you slave. He's saying, partner with me, son. Partner with me, daughter. See, we're servants, but we're also sons. And we're not just serving Him far away, distant. We're serving with Him, partnering with Him. What a tremendous truth. I can't help but think of the great verses in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Don't ever get over the fact that you're a son of God. Don't ever get over the fact that God's asked you to serve Him. It's a privilege to do so. So we see the verse here, uh, back to 1 John, excuse me, John chapter 15 and verse 16. The first phrase, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. What's the next phrase? And ordained you. Now to ordain literally means to place or appoint or set apart for service. Preachers often after they're called to preach, they will be ordained. All that means is that the church sets them apart to serve God at another place or in their church. And so ordination is just simply a recognition that God has set someone apart for pastoral ministry or to be a missionary or to be an evangelist. God ordains them, the church ordains them physically just to symbolize the recognition that God has already done so. But did you know that you're ordained as a child of God? You are set apart for service. You are appointed for a special work. You are placed where God wants you to serve. You know, I was thinking uh, last year, uh, we just finished up our 16th year here, going into our 17th year. Do you know that my entire adult life, I have never decided where to live? It's never been my choice. I went to college where God told me. Then he told me to go to a different college. I went to that college. And then he told me to come here, and I came here. I've never decided where to live. Do you know my whole life, I've never decided what my occupation would be? I didn't even decide who I was going to marry. Ultimately, God told me who I was going to marry. The biggest decisions in my life, I've never made. You say, that's crazy. I say, it's wonderful. (laughs) Because you just let God do it. Amen? And then it takes all the guesswork out of it. It it takes all the, the, oh no, do we live here? And what about this house? And what about this one? And what about this? Which community would be best? Which community has the best schools? Which church would be the... It's never even an option. You just go where God tells you. And I don't think that's just for preachers. I think that ought to be how everybody lives. Amen. We all ought to be so surrendered to God that we just do whatever God tells us. And God will lead you. Go to this church. Live in that community. Buy this house. Marry that person. Work at that job. And so on. But here specifically back to this verse, we talk about that he has ordained us. So God chose us. Christ chose us and ordained you. What does that mean? God has placed you where he wants you to serve, appointed you to accomplish his will, and invested you with the necessary authority, gifts, and graces to accomplish his work. Well, I wish we believed that. I wish you just believed that you're right where God told you to be, 
that you're doing or you could do what he wants you to do. And, and we'd stop making excuses about why we don't do what God tells us. And we would just realize God has given us everything we need. You say, I don't have it yet. Maybe that's because you're not stepping out in faith. What I've learned over these years is if I sit and do nothing and just lament over what I don't have, it seems like God's not moving. But if we'll just start taking baby steps of faith, it's amazing how God makes things happen. And that's consistent with His character, isn't it? That's consistent with His Word. Obedience is the key to everything God has. Faith, true faith, leads to action. Obedient action. How often do we feel inadequate to serve God? Yet God has given us everything we need to serve Him effectively. What is it right now you're thinking, man, uh, some of you are thinking, man, if I had this personality, I'd be a soul winner. Man, if I, just, if I had that guy's or, or that girl's looks or, or health or, or money or if I had their job or if I had their time. or see, We spend so much time thinking about what we don't have that we don't stop and consider what we do have. God has placed you where he wants you, given you the job to reach others, and he will equip you to get the job done. You say, is it that simple? It really is. So let's not complicate things. All right? Now let's look at the next phrase. That ye should go and bring forth fruit. So he chose us, he ordained us. Why? That we should go and bring forth fruit. Now we know there's a going here, so God doesn't want us to sit back. We should be active. God's people should be active. Curtis Corner Baptist Church is a going church. We want to not just have the gospel inside our walls. We want to take the gospel to the streets and to the neighborhoods and to the bus routes and to the nursing homes and to the jails. We want to go with the gospel. Amen. You want to take the gospel home with you to your neighbors and roommates and family and friends and co-workers and uh, take the gospel with you everywhere. But when we go, God expects us to bring forth fruit. Now, what fruit did God intend them to bear? And this has been a, a source of debate for hundreds of years. See, some will say that the fruit mentioned in this verse is simply good works. They'll say that God just wants you to go around doing good works. Now, wait a minute. I agree that God wants us to go around doing good works, right? Do you think God wants you to go around doing bad works? Of course not. Jesus went about doing good. He wants you to go about doing good works. But is that the fruit that this verse is speaking of? And the answer is no. There's no indication at all that this phraseology or verse speaks of just doing good works. Some say the fruit in this verse speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, while this is a little bit more plausible, I don't believe that this is speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, certainly, every Christian should strive to be filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, and you could go to Galatians chapter 5 and check those fruit of the Spirit. We ought to uh, be Spirit-filled, surrendered to the Spirit, and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be born in our lives. But do you think if Jesus meant here the fruit of the Spirit that he could have noted that? 
Sure he could have. But he didn't say the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about the fruit of a Christian. And after all, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. But what's the fruit of the Christian? Let's, let's answer it this way. What's the fruit of an apple? An apple. What's the fruit of a peach tree? Peach. What's the fruit of an olive tree? What's the fruit of a grapevine? What's the fruit of a Christian? Yeah. See, God has given every living thing the seeds of reproduction within it. Dogs beget dogs. Cats beget cats. Trees beget trees. People beget people. Christians beget Christians. The fruit spoken of here in this verse is the fruit of a Christian, which means another Christian. Now, hold your place here. We'll come back. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. If you don't have this verse memorized, mark it and memorize it. Proverbs chapter 11, and look at verse 30, right? The fruit of the righteous, so we're talking about people here. The fruit of the righteous is, let's say it together, a tree of life. All right, let's try it again a little bit louder. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, what is a tree of life? It's a tree that gives life. So watch this. A righteous person bears fruit, and that fruit is another tree of life. You have the gift of life. You can give others the gift of life. When they get saved, they now are to become a tree of life that bears fruit, right? And that's how this thing's supposed to keep going. Somebody wins me, and then I win you, and then you win somebody, and then they win somebody, and that's supposed to multiply as it goes along. Now, the problem is that, that a lot of Christians, at least in America, we allow the gospel to stop with us. And we're not real good about getting the gospel out to others. And listen, we have all of our reasons. And, and it's impossible for you to understand how shy I am and naturally. It's absolutely impossible for you to understand because you always see me up here talking. This is what God's called me to do and, and filled me with the Spirit and equipped me to do. This is not me. I know what it's like to be fear, fearful to talk to people. I know what it's like to not just be the gabby person that never meets a stranger and, and, and all of this. I could have easily been a Baptist monk on the side of some Tibetan mountain somewhere. Just me and my Bible, you know. But God's called us to do something else. God's called us to be a witness. And we can't let the gospel stop with us. We have to take the gospel to others. Now, in case there's any ambiguity here, the, notice I didn't finish the verse. Let's read the rest of the verse. And he that winneth souls is wise. So in case you're, you, you, you say, well, I don't know if that explanation is a good one. He goes ahead and tells you we're talking about winning souls here right? So let's read the whole verse together. Ready? 
The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. All right? So that's a verse everybody ought to mention. So back to John chapter 15, the fruit of a Christian is a Christian. And when Jesus said, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Does that remind you of the Great Commission? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, so we see the going and we see the bearing of fruit here in this verse. So we're talking about the fruit of the Christian. Now, look at the next phrase back in John chapter 15. So he's chosen us, ordained us that we should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, the word remain means to abide or to last. And praise God that all of our works done in the name of Jesus are eternal. Think about that. Do you know that whatever you do with your own hands in your own power, it's going to all burn away. It's going to all turn to ash. But whatever you do in Jesus' name and for His sake lasts forever. I mean, you get eternal rewards in heaven. That's a pretty good deal. But think about this. The fruit that remains are the people that we've seen saved. The Apostle Paul called them my joy and my crown. I wonder how many people are going to be in heaven because you helped get them there. Pretty sobering question, isn't it? There's an old song called, Must I Go and Empty-Handed? Let me just read you the lyrics. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet? Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. The chorus says, must I go and empty-handed, must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty-handed go? See, all of us ought to fear not accomplishing the work God's given us to do. We don't need to fear men. We don't need to fear the craziness of this world. You don't need to fear some crazy virus. If God wants you to get it, you're going to get it. If he doesn't want you to get it, you're not going to. Every one of you have a day on God's calendar. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. You have an appointment on God's calendar. And not a thing you do can change it unless you want to tempt God and go jump off a building somewhere. Then God will sit back and say, okay, dummy, I'll take you early. <laughs> you know, don't tempt God. But at the same time, you can't live in fear. Fear is the devil's currency. Fear is a tool of manipulation. Faith is the currency of God's kingdom. And we must live by faith. And... The real fear, though, do we fear the Lord? That's the real fear. Do we fear not accomplishing the purpose for which He created us? That's the real fear. Do we fear living this life and going to heaven without any souls to greet the Master? You see, this thing about soul winning is a big deal to God. It's a big deal 
Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It ought to be a big deal to us. I think all of us today, we should ask God to make us a soul winner. Whether you've never won a soul to Christ or you've won a bunch of them. All of us ought to pray every day, God, make me a soul winner. Give me a heart for souls. Help me to care about the lost. Give me opportunities to witness. Save my family. Save my coworkers. Save my neighbors. Save the people on the bus route. Save the people in the nursing home. Save the people in the prison. Save the people in our community. It ought to just be a constant heartbeat because it is that of our master. And pray for boldness to tell someone about Jesus. Amen. Now let's finish up by tying this all into prayer. You see, this is a prayer lesson, but this prayer promise is tacked on to a verse that reminds us that God left us here to win people to Him. The reason that you're still here, you know what? After you get saved, why doesn't God just zap you up and take you to heaven now? Why, do, why does He make you live on this earth and suffer for another however many years? Why doesn't He just translate you straight to heaven? Because you have a job to do. We have a job to do. But then at the end of this where He, he reminds the disciples of this all-important job going after the souls of men bearing fruit that remains, He then gives them a prayer promise. And He says that whatsoever... Ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now we learned last week what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And we can use the authority of Christ to requisition what we need to accomplish the mission of Christ. All right, praying in Jesus' name is not just tacking on a few words to the end of your sentence. It's not a password that gets you uh, extra credit. It's not some magical incantation that if you say these words, poof, God's just going to do it. No, it is, it is calling upon the authority of the Almighty Son of God. It is like stamping His name at the bottom of a requisition form and said, I'm asking this to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And that's exactly what soul winning is. This is why this powerful promise is attached to soul winning and why God promises that if you're on the front lines of the battle, you get your resources. And by the way, you also get a lot of other prayers answered. God takes care of his fruit trees. In the Old Testament, when they would go to besiege a city, they would cut down the forest around and build bulwarks and different machines and fences and structures so they could take down the walls or cross the walls. But God told them that whenever they're, they're besieging a city, not to cut down the fruit trees. Why? Because you're going to eat on them. If you cut down the fruit trees, you're not going to have anything to eat. If you... If, if God doesn't take care of His fruit trees, who's going to do the work of God? And the truth is, how many people name the name of Christ, but they're not bearing fruit? 
And so God says, I'm going to prioritize those people who are bearing fruit or seeking to bear fruit, who have my heartbeat, who are going about my mission. I will prioritize your prayer because you're prioritizing my mission. Does that make sense to you? Let me show you the last verse. Luke chapter 10. See, Jesus knew what a hard job it was going to be for us to go into this old crazy world with the gospel. We've had it pretty good in America because America was a Christian nation where Christianity was honored. But do you know that in the day of Christ and in much of the world, being a Christian meant you were hated? Even yet today, in much of the world, being a Christian doesn't buy you any favors. It means you're instantly hated. And Jesus knew what he was asking his disciples to go into a hostile world and take his message. They were going to need supernatural assistance. Not just in the indwelling spirit of God, but able to call on resources and power from heaven. And so in Luke chapter 10, he's giving instructions to uh, his disciples. And we'll just look at this one verse. He says, go your ways, Luke chapter 10, verse 3, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among what? Wolves. Wolves. If you know anything about animals, that's not a fair fight. Lambs have nothing to defend themselves with. Matter of fact, their only defense is the shepherd. And he said, I'm sending you forth as lambs among wolves. And this gives us some perspective about why this prayer promise is attached to this idea of evangelism and soul winning and taking the gospel. Because he said, I know I'm sending you into hostile territory. I know I'm not giving you everything you need. Matter of fact, in this portion of scripture, he told them not to take a bunch of stuff on their journey that you would think you would need. But see, they didn't need all that stuff because they had God. And they had the power to request from God what they would need for the task. Amen. And so this prayer promise is attached to soul winning because soul winning requires the miraculous power of Almighty God. Prayer calls the power of heaven to help the soul winner. Have you ever noticed that most of God's people are common people? Most churches aren't filled with rich, rich people, at least not churches that preach the gospel. Usually, if they are filled with rich people, they either try to run off the truth-speaking preacher or they leave themselves, right? Uh, most believers that are serious and committed to God, not all, but most are common people. That's why Jesus even said, the common people hear me gladly. We're not bigwigs. We don't have a high station. We don't have unlimited resources. We're just common people trying to do the miraculous work of God. How can we be expected to do that? Because we have a prayer promise that says, as you are involved in my work, and you use my authority and pray in my name, I'll give you what you need to fulfill my mission. 
one of the prerequisites for prayers that's often overlooked is just being faithful to getting the gospel out. You be faithful in God's work, and God will be faithful to take care of you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth this evening. We pray that you'd bless it, bless our time together. We ask that your will would be done. Lord, forgive us for not having a heart for souls like we ought. Forgive us for not caring like you do. Oh, when's the last time we wept for souls? When's the last time we just begged and pleaded with you or skipped a meal so that we could see somebody saved? But Lord, help us not to get so bogged down in the daily things of this life that we miss the reason why we're left here. Help us to be bold. Help us to take the gospel with us. And then, Lord, as we're working on becoming effective prayer warriors, that we would see that soul winners get their prayers answered. And one of the great qualifications for prayer is being involved in your work. Lord, pray you bless the offering, bless the prayer time to follow and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you just a couple